Velkommen til Computational Thinking at tænke med maskiner. En podcast fra IT Vest om informatik og brugen af computationelle metoder i forskning, uddannelse og undervisning. I denne og de efterfølgende tre episoder tager vi et smut omkring det store udland og møder nogle af de internationale forskere og undervisere, der på vidt forskellige fasong undersøger og anvender computationelle metoder i deres arbejde. Det betyder i øvrigt også, at selve interviewene foregår på engelsk med supplerende kommentarer på dansk fra mig. I denne episode der skal vi til Oslo for at besøge blandt andre Anders Malte Sørensen, der er leder af CCSE, Center for Computing and Science Education ved Oslo Universitet. Her arbejder man med at undersøge, hvordan komputationelle metoder kan bruges især i fysikundervisningen, men også hvordan metoderne samtidig grundlæggende ændrer, hvordan man overhovedet underviser. And it, and it goes quite deep in the sense that, that this allows us to rethink in my case then what physics is or, or how physics should be taught. And I find this sort of a deeply satisfying activity. Vi håber, at podcasten og de internationale forskere kan tjene til både oplysning og inspiration, og at de kan være med til at danne og forstærke netværk mellem undervisere og forskere, der bruger eller ønsker at bruge komputationelle metoder og modeller i hverdagen. Jeg hedder Anders Høgh Nissen. Velkommen til. Som sagt skal vi i denne episode til Oslo, nærmere bestemt til Center for Computing and Science Education, altså ved Oslo Universitet. Eller retter. Vi er nødt til at forestille os, at vi tager til Oslo, for i disse tider må vi nøjes med at tale med vores gæster via det store internet. Så i virkeligheden sad jeg altså bare her i det lille hjemmestudie, da jeg for nylig talte med Anders Malte Sørensen fra Forskningscentret i Norge. I'm a professor of physics at the University of Oslo. So one of my roles is that I'm a director of a center for excellence in education. Uh, and the focus of that center is uh, in its name basically is the Center for Computing and Science Education. Udover sit arbejde med udviklingen af komputationelle metoder til undervisning i naturvidenskab, får Anders heldigvis også tid til at dyrke sin egen forskning, som blandt andet handler om friktion og noget så eksotisk som komputationel neurologi. I denne kontekst der skal det dog handle om CCSE-centret, der har som sit mål at integrere komputationelle metoder som naturlige værktøjer i uddannelsen, blandt andet for at forberede de studerende på fremtidens tværfaglige arbejde. So our center is focused on on seeing how we can integrate computational thinking, which in practice often means programming, into various types of educations. And then also understand how that impacts student learning in those uh, various disciplines. Centret blev dannet i 2016 på baggrund af en række undersøgelser og observationer, der viste, at viden om computational thinking blev stadig vigtigere, samtidig med at de studerende i Norge altså manglede viden og kunden på området. As a physicist, I see how is the, this field of physics developing and, and where will physics be in 20 years and, and, and what you need to be able to participate in that world of physics in 20 years. And research in, in many of the natural sciences have changed drastically over the last 20-30 years, where using computational methods has become a completely ingrained and necessary method. It's basically impossible now to publish in top journals in physics or in bioscience without having also a model 
So you can't only publish experimental results, you also need to have uh, models which can help you understand your results. So, uh, so, so we see this change coming within the various disciplines. But what often then surprised us was that when we looked at the educational programs we were developing, they didn't reflect that reality. Det blev også klart, at man på et mere overordnet niveau savnede værktøjer til at kortlægge og evaluere både brugen af computationelle metoder og de studerendes forståelse af værktøjerne, siger Anders. And, and there is typically a procedure for creating these or generating these types of assessments. And in, let's say in, in basic physics, like in mechanics, there are very good tests to test uh, what we call uh, yeah, Newtonian thinking, essentially. Do you think like Newton or like Aristoteles? And, and, and we have very good tests for this, just to see to what degree you have sort of progressed to this Newtonian way of thinking that are essentially conceptual. So they don't, they don't really require you to do a calculation on paper. It's more on concepts. But we don't have anything similar when it comes to understanding either basic aspects of computing. Og det er lige præcis det, som Centret så har arbejdet på at lave. So we sort of work on developing new learning material, which is sort of what, what you learn from. And then also learning approaches, which is more <coughs> related to the students' activities, what the students are doing. And then we also gradually trying to figure out ways to, to measure, understand how that affects student learning outcomes, what the student have learned in the end. And, and all, maybe also their attitudes, which also can be quite important. Hvis man skal gå lidt mere ned i centrets arbejde, så handler det indtil videre især om undervisningen i fysik på Universitetet i Oslo, og på hvordan brugen af computationelle værktøjer kan gøre en forskel. Anders Malte Sørensen er nemlig af den opfattelse, at den traditionelle, tætte kobling mellem matematik og fysik gør det svært at løse rigtige problemer uden for matematikkens strenge rammer og begrænser de studerendes mulighed for at tænke problemløsende og kreativt. And what worries me about that is that this teaches students that physics is something fragile. If you just make one small change in your assumptions, physics breaks down. But this is not really the truth, and this is not really what I want to instill in my students. I want to want them to learn that physics is powerful. It's something that almost always works, and you can apply it. But in order to do that, they need to have different tools. They need to have tools, mathematical tools, so that when they take a physics problem, they can solve it. And this is what has basically happened over the last 20 years, that these tools are now available. In, in education research or education, we often refer to something called Bloom's Taxonomy of Learning. And this is like a pyramid. And the first level is essentially just learning things sort of, so that you can repeat them. You just learn things and you're able to, to repeat them out loud. And the higher up you come in the hierarchy or in this pyramid, the more abstract uh, and, and, and more practical your understanding becomes so at the top of the hierarchy it's essentially you're being able to use your knowledge to create new knowledge or to explore so it's, it's more this focus on on asking questions being creative and that's also satisfying because it means that my students are learning something that's closer to the workflows that occur in uh, in science Lad os tage et konkret eksempel fra fysikundervisningen i Oslo, hvor man for eksempel skal lære om penduler, der så enten kan beskrives i stramme matematiske termer, eller gennem computationelle metoder, der kan udforskes og tilpasses løbende. And this is sort of canonical for all physics students. All physics students need to know the pendulum. But it is rather unfortunate the way it's formulated, and this sort of goes deeply into physics, because 
usually assume that the pendulum follows a particular path, sort of a half-circular path, and then when you have assumed that, then you calculate how it behaves. The problem with that is that you can't really go outside that assumption. And you know that, but what happens if you if you sort of swing a pendulum or a yo-yo or something like this, you know what happens at the top of the path. Well, you know this just from using a swing. You're not at the, at the top of the path. If you're too fast, something strange might happen. But this is outside the range of what, what your model can predict. What we instead do when, when we teach it in, in sort of the computational class is that we, we instead of formulating the pendulum as you have to move along this circular path, we say, well, we just put a, a small uh, mass in a spring, and then you just put that spring out on one end and you, and you let it loose, and then it's going to oscillate, so it's going to oscillate a bit back and forth, but it's also going to swing. And, and what the students then can say if that, is that if you make this uh, spring stiffer and stiffer, it becomes closer and closer to just being the ordinary swing where it moves in a circular path. But in addition, you can explore. You can also see what happens if you are swinging sort of beyond the top of the path in your swing and, and, and you fall back instead of sort of following the path. All of these things can be explored. Yeah, so, so they program all of this on a computer and, and without programming it on a computer, it would basically be impossible to solve these problems. So in a classical mechanics course, you'd have to make this assumption that it moves in a circular path. And what most physics students will know, sort of be very frustrated with is that what happens at the top of that path? Well, that's really when you lose contact with, uh, essentially when your string is no longer fully stretched. So then you're outside the, the realm of your model and then basically you don't really know what happens because your model stops working. But when you program it, you program all of this explicitly into the computer and then you can sort of see there, it stops there, my assumption stops being true. And then you can understand sort of the deviations from the model. Som Anders Malte Sørensen siger det, så handler matematik i fysikundervisningen her groft sagt om forenkling, mens komputationelle metoder lader de studerende udforske komplicerede fænomener. Og håbet er naturligvis så, at de to tilgange kan kombineres til en mere komplet forståelse af fysikken. I et andet eksempel fra undervisningen undersøgte de studerende en tornados bevægelser gennem landskabet i USA på en måde, der simpelthen ikke kunne være sket med traditionel matematik, men som altså i stedet kunne udforskes med computermodeller på en interaktiv fasong med antagelser og hypoteser, simulation, tilpasning af modellen, nye simulationer osv. Men gør det så de studerendes forståelse af den grundlæggende matematik værre, kunne man spørge? Nej siger Anders, for de nye komputationelle metoder kan tvinge dem til at lære og forstå matematikken bedre, netop fordi de studerende skal programmere en løsning af problemerne ind i deres model. So we are actually quite happy when we are introducing these new concepts and we are still getting students to pass. Because uh, we, th- we think and, and we start to get some sort of more research-based evidence also for this, that we are raising the bar in some sense. We are making making more abstract. You need to have a more a deeper understanding of some of the mathematical concepts in order to solve it. So if we, if we did just did the abstract part of it, if, if, if I just ask students to describe how you were doing finding the derivative, that would be difficult. But when they actually done that and implemented it on a computer and seen, seen how it works, it becomes like a practical hands-on skill again. It's something that they can do. 
and 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 we see that this is sort of <clears throat> i think this is sort of helping then building build a different type of understanding of some of the the basic concepts en af de undervisningsmetoder som folkene på centret i Oslo især har gjort brug af kaldes komputationelle essays det er kort fortalt en slags projektrapport, der kombinerer tekst med kode i både beskrivelsen, undersøgelsen og løsningen af et givet problem. Til at fortælle mere om den slags essays har vi her Anders Malte Sørensens kollega Tor Ole Odden. I'm a postdoc at the Center for Computing in Science Education at the University of Oslo. So there I spend my time uh, mostly researching how we can use computation and programming to improve the ways in which we teach physics and science more broadly. Når de studerende skal arbejde med computationelle essays, begynder de først med overhovedet at tage stilling til hvilket problem for undervisningen de gerne vil arbejde med. Halfway through the semester, we give students this challenge. We say, um, at this point you've learned a fair bit of electricity and magnetism. You've learned a fair bit of computation uh, both this semester and previously. And what we want you to do now is to spend some time uh, finding a question that you find to be interesting, that you find to be novel or unusual or that you're curious about, and then write a computational simulation to answer that question. A computational simulation is basically a, a program that you write that uh, Uh, tries to simulate a system and I realize I just used the word simulate a system in describing a computational simulation but basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to build a computational model of a physical system and so what that involves is first of all uh, uh, figuring out how to take a really complex system and boil it down to sort of a few essential parts that can be modeled computationally or mathematically Uh, the two sort of end up uh, being linked in a lot of ways. Um, and then figuring out uh, uh, different sort of parameters or different values or different sort of aspects of the system that are based in real life that you can put into your simulation. Running the simulation, you know, you write up a program. Uh, oftentimes it's, for example, to uh, uh, follow the trajectory of a particle that's you know, uh, in an electric field or in a magnetic field under sort of different circumstances. Uh, and so you run the simulation, you follow sort of the trajectory of the particle, and then uh, uh, sort of interpret the results, try and understand what happened, why did it happen, how does it correspond to something that you might see in real life. I løbet af projektet kommer de selvfølgelig til at arbejde med programmeringen af deres modeller, som så bliver justeret efterhånden, som simulationerne giver nye input, og de studerendes antagelser ændrer sig. And so the the thing that they produce at the end is this essay that has both the code and sort of whatever outputs uh, might might come out from the code, plots or diagrams or visualizations or numerical results, as well as sort of an introduction, sort of an argument, an explanation of what they did, some conclusions. And we actually have them present these uh, these documents to each other once they've completed in sort of mini research group meeting-like settings. So they get a little bit of a chance to uh, sort of show off what they've done as well as get a little bit of an experience of what it's like to present results to their peers. Og lad os tage et eksempel. Det handler om railguns. 
en særlig form for mere eller mindre science fiction-agtigt våben, der bruger magneter til at sende projektiler afsted med ekstremt høj hastighed. Uh, and the topic is, is it feasible to use a railgun to launch a package up to the International Space Station? And so basically in the essay we we sort of simulate the the amount of electric current that would be required in order to power a railgun to to get a package up to speed to send it up to the International Space Station. Um and uh as <laughs> as I think is common with these computational essays we find that the amount of electricity required is completely unreasonable. Uh it would almost certainly destroy the railgun uh in just launching a single kilogram package. And that's not even including certain key effects like uh, air resistance. Um, but it's sort of a fun little uh, uh, simulation to run and a fun little system to explore just to sort of see what kind of numbers you would get out from this kind of thing. Et andet eksempel kommer fra Karl Henrik Fredly, der studerer fysik på Universitetet i Oslo og som også har arbejdet med de komputationelle essays. Um, my name is Carl Henrik Fredli, and I'm a master's student at the University of Oslo. I'm studying computational physics. Han har i et af sine essays blandt andet undersøgt den mindst lige så science fiction spekulative situation, at tyngdekraften pludselig blev vendt på hovedet. Yeah, um, an idea I had was like, what if everyone just started falling upwards? And I've Yeah, probably a lot of people have thought something in in that way and like what if gravity was inversed. And then I started wondering how how long would it take to fall into space. I kind of tried to solve that problem by finding like a model of the atmosphere, like how dense the different parts of the atmosphere is. And then yeah, just putting a, a changing the sign in the gravity equation and then seeing how a person would fall upwards and then gravity would become weaker and weaker as you left as it went further out um but you would just yeah keep accelerating out of space and that was a pretty cool problem men tilbage til Tor Ole Oden som går lidt dybere ned i hvorfor han mener at de her computationelle essays giver mening i undervisningen det handler om den udforskende tilgang om at lære både fagstof og computationelle kompetencer, og om at skabe et undervisningsmiljø, som også fokuserer på samarbejde og situationer, der minder om den forskning eller det arbejde, de studerende skal ud i efter universitetet. For eksempel samler de også alle de studerendes essays i et såkaldt repository, hvor alle kan se og følge de andres arbejde, og ikke mindst se, hvordan de kan bygge videre på deres medstuderendes udforskning af et givet problem. And this is something that you just don't see typically in physics courses. You know, every uh, batch of students sort of solves the same standard set of problems in a standard physics course. Whereas in this computational essay project, we start to see something that almost looks a little bit like what uh, we think of as kind of a scientific community. Students creating simulations, getting results, and then students coming along later on, reading those results and refining them and building off of them and sort of forming a community where different people are sort of building off of and critiquing and moving forward other people's work. Derfor kan man faktisk også i samlingen af essays finde et essay fra en studerende, som har taget Tor Oles arbejde med den førnævnte Railgun og har demonstreret, hvor Tor Ole Odden tog fejl og lavede en ny model af kanonen. 
Og det lyder måske som skæg og ballade forklædt som fysikundervisning, men som Tor Ole siger, så er det altså alt sammen en del af arbejdet, ikke bare med essays som konkret metode, men også med komputationelle kompetencer i et større perspektiv. The broader idea behind computational essays is actually to try and explore how students develop uh, computational literacy. And that's kind of the, the next step in the evolution of this project, I would say. It's a, a, a type of skill that unlocks new ways of learning. And so part of the project has been exploring uh, what it means for students to be computationally literate. And we had some ideas going in on on sort of what to look for, right? Uh, you can you can draw a lot of analogies to reading and writing. If you are literate in reading and writing, you have to be able to read and write. You have to have sort of basic skills. And in the same way, in computation, you have to be able to program. You also have to have some fluency with different sort of genres and styles of writing and sort of uh, uh, purposes for writing. And in the same way, uh, in computational science, you have to have some ideas of sort of ways you can use computation in order to do science or learn science. And uh, in reading and writing and mathematics, you have to be able to express yourself. You have to be able to communicate using sort of these tools. And in the same way, in computation, uh, you have to be able to collaborate with other people. You have to be able to show what you've done in a way that other people can understand and build on. And so this this was sort of the basic idea behind the project. Um, computational essays are sort of meant to be a tool that allow us to see what computational literacy looks like for students because they have to program, they have to use it to solve a problem, and they have to communicate with it. It sort of checks all three of the boxes. Nu er der jo næppe nogen metoder, der er perfekte. Og både Tor Ole Odden, Anders Malte Sørensen og de andre i Oslo er stødt på problemer og udfordringer i arbejde med de her komputationelle essays. Det handlede blandt andet om, at det for mange studerende var svært at skulle vælge deres egne problemer og arbejde med. Flere valgte emner, som viste sig at være for svære at takle, og de havde vanskeligheder med at komme videre. Det løste man i undervisningen ved først at tilbyde de studerende et begrænset antal muligheder, indtil de var mere bekendte med ideen med essays og den åbne udforskning af et problem, fortæller her Anders Malte Sørensen. So what we did then is then is that we instead built something we called choose your own adventure, like an old adventure game essentially. You make choices. So it's instead of of making everything free, we said, well, you can select among these four possible problems. And then you can select these four methods and you can select these four ways of visualizing it. So that they have some degree of, of choice in there, but but it's still some structure to the problem. And when they've done this once or twice, then they are ready to do this more advanced stuff. So sometimes I, I would say that just being too ambitious can be a disservice to the students because they don't really know how to move into this new open area that we haven't populated yet. They don't know the script in some sense. They don't, they don't know what to do. So, so they just start without any understanding of, of what to do. Nu har vi talt om den grundlæggende vision for Center for Computing and Science Education ved Oslo Universitet, og vi har set på en af de metoder, de har udviklet og anvendt. Men lad os her til sidst løfte blikket igen og se på de næste skridt. Her er Anders Malte Sørensen og hans kolleger allerede i gang med at brede de komputationelle metoder ud i andre fag på universitetet og har for eksempel arbejdet med det i biologi. 
Og men de har nogle udfordringer her, siger han, fordi anvendelsen af matematik i biologi er så forskellig fra fysikundervisningen. Næste skridt er så det humanistiske fakultet. So now we have one new course designed for the humanities that they call uh, computational thinking. It could not be called programming. I understand that was sort of beneath the humanities to call it programming. It needs to be thinking in, in, in the name of the course, and, and I understand. And actually, I appreciate it because this is really what you want to, te- to teach. You don't really want to teach them Python programming. This is not ID. You want to teach them the way you think when you write a program, the way you think when you solve a problem using computing as, 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 as a tool. So, so it really is trying to change or, or to bring you one more tool in your toolbox of thinking. And, and I think this is something that philosophers, for instance, appreciate. And this is what we try to build in, and then we also built in sort of tools that are used in the humanities. So the tools comes from the context, and examples comes from the context. So natural language processing, for instance, becomes more important if you want to study texts. But also on other, I think there are sort of really deep, interesting, fundamental things about how we think that's shaped by the tools you have to think. I mean, we often think that that you think in words, but this is not always true because in the sciences, at least, we often think in terms of graphs or drawings. Some people think in think in terms of music, and I'm sure that it's not directly converted into words. It's 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 sort of a different way of thinking. And I think also you could, to some degree, think in terms of algorithms, and that is slightly different than thinking in terms of, of words. It, they are related. But you can also be creative in terms of algorithms, a bit like you can be creative in, in using your words. Her kan vi kort vende tilbage til Karl Henrik Fredly, der ganske vist stadig er fysikstuderende, men selv underviser i computationelle metoder målrettet folk uden for naturvidenskaben. We're just finishing up a module in um, the introductory programming course on game theory. Yeah, a game game theory is a way to kind of model human behavior, like what choices rational agents make. When you set the rules of a game, you can simulate and solve a bunch of stuff about how people will behave. Yeah, that's a nice use case from programming, and you can make some evolutionary models to kind of simulate um, human behavior or like the evolution of uh, cooperation and stuff. So that's been fun to develop and learn about. Uh, What we've seen is that the, the humanity students have kind of enjoyed being able to um, yeah, discuss with the science students how their code works, how their analysis works, and kind of see where their results come from and what the limitations are of their analysis. Og endelig siger Anders Malte Sørensen, så er det vigtigt også at integrere det i andre dele af skole- og undervisningssystemet. Fordi computational thinking er et ekstremt vigtigt begreb, og ikke mindst en vigtig kompetence i alle dele af både skoler og det omkringliggende samfund. This is why I like the word being computationally literate. To be literate, you can, it's not enough only to read. You should be able to write a bit as well. I think that sort of at least corresponds to most people's understanding of being literate is that it's not only being able to you need to read and you need to be able to interpret what you read but probably also you need to be able to express your own thoughts using this medium and this is a bit along those lines we think when it comes to being computationally literate you need to be able to understand 
but also be able to express yourself and use it. So that's why writing a program or writing some, in the end, actually putting it down on in, into something that, that does something is probably quite important, just like writing is an important part of, of learning language. It's, it's not enough just to be passively listening to things. You need to actively engage in this activity of writing or this activity of, of computing. Og med det nåede vi afslutningen af denne episode af Computational Thinking at tænke med maskiner. Denne gang medvirkede Anders Malte Sørensen, Tor Ole Odden og Karl Henrik Fredly, alle tre fra Institut for Fysik på Oslo Universitet. Vi linker i vores show notes til mere information om CCSE, Center for Computing and Science Education ved Oslo Universitet. Computational Thinking podcasten udgives af IT Vest og er produceret af Podlab. Jeg hedder Anders Høgh Nissen. Tak for denne gang.